What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the all-new, all-awesome podcast with me, Danny Barham. Uh, I'm here just by myself this week. Uh, no special guests, but we're definitely going to have more soon. Uh, I've really enjoyed doing the episodes uh, with Rebecca and Brian, and uh, I'm hoping to have more people on soon. But I do have a lot to talk about this week, so I figured I would just sort of get right into it. Uh, a lot going on in the entertainment world uh, and pop culture world. And uh, first, I just wanted to sort of recap a little bit the Golden Globes, which aired uh, this past Sunday. And, you know, it was sort of the first big movie award show of the season, um, although obviously coming later in the season than it normally does. Uh, everything is sort of pushed back this year, 2021. Uh, the Oscars are not till April. The Golden Globes, which are normally in January, are uh, were you know the last weekend of February, and uh, so everything is pushed back. And of course, we're still seeing, as I've talked about, a lot of the big uh, sort of awards contender movies are slowly sort of trickling out um, over these last several weeks, and uh, a lot of them are just now becoming available to watch. So I'm going to talk about one of those big movies uh, later on. Um, but I did want to just kind of go through the awards and, uh, I'll give some thoughts as we go. So, uh, actually before I do that, let me just say, you know, I thought it was an okay show. Um, you know, I think the Golden Globes are kind of known, uh, for being kind of the raucous, uh, you know, award show with a lot of, uh, drinking and, uh, sort of revelry and, uh, they tend to be, uh, you know, a pretty lively event, which makes it good TV. Um, and obviously this year they, they couldn't quite do that uh, with it being a very limited audience and uh, only a, a small number of, of celebrities in attendance. But, you know, I thought there were some, some fun moments. Uh, I particularly enjoyed when uh, Barb and Star came out in character. Uh, and I'll talk more about that movie later on as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I like the, um, the achievement award for Jane Fonda. It was fun to see. I always like all the highlight compilations of sort of legendary actors and, and seeing all of their best roles. Um, so that was fun. Um, and Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, you know, are always, always a good combo. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite the Golden Globes that we, that we know, uh, and remember fondly. Uh, at least as a, as a TV event, but it was, it was good. You know, I, um, I always get very, uh, into kind of, uh, movie awards and sort of who's going to win and trying to figure it out and guess and, um, see how it affects the conversation. So I always get into it. I will say in the age of, uh, being able to fast forward on your TV for these shows, you've got to watch them on a delay. I think it's the only way to do it. Uh, there's just so many commercials, uh, so much kind of, you know, uh, stuff that you can fast forward through um, that I feel like, you know, unless they're at like a party or something, which obviously we're not, you know, these days, uh, you just got to watch it on like an hour delay and then fast forward through a lot. Um and, and, you know, the other thing I think that's interesting, just as a side note, is, you know, of course, you may have seen the ratings were down for the Golden Globes. And I feel like people always kind of take these sort of stories out of context where, uh, you know, people always talk about ratings in isolation and say, like, oh, the Golden Globes ratings were down. It must be because no movies were nominated that people wanted to see. Um and make that kind of comment or people say like, Oh, people are, uh, turning against Hollywood or whatever. Um, you know, I, I think there's always going to be different factors that go into the ratings of, of a given show. But these days, I think you have to look at the fact that less people are watching linear television, less people have a way to even watch live TV, um, than they used to. And, and not many people, if you talk to anyone under, you know, 35, uh, they're not watching live TV. 
Um, and if something is airing on network TV, they're probably not watching it unless they're, you know, again, like going to a friend's house or going to family's house, which people are not doing. So I think it's no big surprise why so many TV ratings are, are low right now uh, for even for big events like the Golden Globes that typically get a, a pretty good rating. Um, so sure, you could argue that, you know, maybe people haven't watched as many of these movies this year. But I think people always say that, um, and, and that's kind of hard to, um, you know, quantify. And also, uh, it's hard to say that people watch award shows just because of a certain movie that's nominated. Um, I think, yes, there have been years, if you go back in history, when something like Titanic came out and the Oscars got a really good rating that year because there were so many just rabid fans of Titanic. But I feel like that's actually more the exception than the rule. Um, so I, I think when you talk about TV TV ratings, you really have to look at the overall state of the of both the the um, way people watch TV and and the industry as a whole. Where again, like during this pandemic, yes, everyone is at home binge watching stuff, but they're doing it on their own time. You know, they're watching things when they want to watch them. Um, they're doing sort of, uh, you know, they're, they're in their own silos. They're watching the things that specifically interest them, uh, less so tuning into like big events. And I think that's been the trend for a while now where, uh, people can sort of get into the rabbit holes they want to get into. And, you know, even, uh, you know, as far as things like the Super Bowl, which is really the biggest of all live TV events. I think less and less people are are feeling compelled to watch it. So, you know, it's uh, it, it is an interesting tangent when you talk about award shows like this. But let's get to it. Um, so, best performance by an actor in a supporting role in a movie. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya Kaluuya won uh, for Judas and the Black Messiah, which. You know, well-deserved. I thought he was fantastic in that movie. I also really did like Leslie uh, Odom Jr. in One Night in Miami and uh, Sasha Baron Cohen in The Trial of Chicago 7. But but I think uh, Kaluuya would have actually been my pick for this category as well. So I'm glad he won. Great actor. Uh, best performance by an actor in a, a series, limited series or motion picture made for TV. And this is that really weird category where, you know, you have like Dan Levy competing with John Boyega um, for totally different kinds of content. John Boyega won for small acts. Um, you know, I, I talked before about uh, Red, White, and Blue, um, which was the uh, the the episode or the the installment of small acts that he was part of which was fantastic. He was great in it. So well-deserved one there. Um, again, just a weird category though. Uh, best performance by an actress in a TV series, uh, musical or comedy. So Catherine O'Hara won for Schitt's Creek, just like she did at the Emmys. And, you know, she's amazing. Well-deserved, absolute legend. She was phenomenal on Schitt's Creek, was hilarious, uh, constantly made me laugh. And it's just, I think, an all-timer sitcom performance. Uh, best motion picture animated. So Soul won. Uh, I think that was the obvious favorite here. Although I have talked about, like, I actually thought Onward was a bit underrated in this category and should be kind of right up there with Soul. Uh, I'm curious to watch Wolfwalkers at some point, too, because that does look really interesting. So, um I think this one is an easy was an easy bet, and and I think Soul obviously will be the favorite for the Oscars as well. Um, best performance by an actor in a limited series uh, for TV. So Mark Ruffalo won for I Know This Much Is True. I haven't seen it, um, so I can't really comment. Um, but obviously, Mark Ruffalo is always good. Um, of these, I saw Brian Cranston in, in Your Honor, who was really good. Um, I saw Jeff Daniels in the Comey rule, who was good, but yeah, uh, no strong opinions on this one. So best screenplay in a motion picture, um, Aaron Sorkin won. So again, he, he was probably the, the odds on favorite, just given how big of a name he is. Um, I think a lot of people wanted 
you know, either like Nomadland to win uh, with Chloe Zhao uh, or uh, Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, which was a very clever, very uh, unique script. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I probably would have gone with one of those two, but uh, I guess Aaron Sorkin, just given his name uh, and reputation and, and Trial of Chicago 7 was a good script, but I don't think it was on the level of those other two. Um, but, you know, we'll see for the Oscars. I mean, um, I would guess Aaron Sorkin is still a favorite, uh, depending on what the nominations are, but we'll see if someone else can, can sort of play the spoiler there. Uh, performance by an actress in a TV series drama. So uh, Emma Corrin won for the crown. I have not seen the crown. Um, but obviously the crown was a big winner at the golden globes. Um, so, uh, you know, can't, can't fault it. Um, obviously I've heard great things about the show. Um, original song in a motion picture. I mean, I don't know. None of these like really stood out to me. Uh, but, but the winner was for a movie called the life ahead, which I have not seen. Um, so yeah, I guess no no real comment there but it doesn't feel to me like it was a very strong year for songs for movies other than as i've as i've heard others say like how was it that uh eurovision was not nominated here i mean the songs were 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 often very funny and well crafted so you would think that would be in the mix but uh i guess not um so original score motion picture uh soul was the winner I don't know. I it didn't stand out to me as like an amazing score. And actually, after seeing Nomadland, I really think that should be nominated. Um, hopefully, it is for the Oscars. I thought that movie had an amazing score. Um, best performance by an actor in a TV series, musical, or comedy. So Jason Sudeikis won for Ted Lasso. Um, I think you know Eugene Levy for Schitt's Creek was probably my sentimental favorite. I haven't seen Ted Lasso yet. It's on my list. I'm hoping to watch it soon. Um, but again, I've heard so many great things about that show that uh, I'm very curious to see it. Um, best TV series, musical, or comedy. So Schitt's Creek won. Very happy about that. I think, again, it was it was sort of rewarding the show for being the show that everybody watched during the pandemic. It was so many people's comfort food. And at the end of the day, it ended up being a really classic sitcom. So, you know, well-deserved win there for, for sort of not just its final season, but really for, for the entirety of, of the show's run, which, you know, in, in retrospect was just a fantastic run. So here's one where things get really interesting. Um, best performance by an actress in a motion picture, musical or comedy. So it's so funny because literally before this past weekend, I don't think anyone had seen really the movie I Care A Lot other than a couple of critics at festivals. And so I don't think Rosamund Pike for this movie was really on people's radars. But just before uh, the Golden Globes, it went up on Netflix. Lots of people watched it. It was, it, it was one of the most watched things on Netflix. All of a sudden, Rosamund Pike you know, is on everyone's radar. And obviously the voting occurred before that, but, you know, it was kind of interesting just how that played out and the timing of it. But I will talk more about I Care A Lot later in the podcast. Really like that movie. And Rosamund Pike was freaking awesome in it. So in retrospect, well-deserved win from her. Um, although I did really like Anya Taylor-Joy and Emma, really liked Maria Bakalova and Borat. So, um, both of those, I think, were also strong nominees. So actor in a television series, drama, another win for The Crown with Josh O'Connor. You know, for me, I'm always going to go for Better Call Saul. Bob Odenkirk, to me, is doing the best acting on TV, along with Rhea Seahorn on Better Call Saul. Um, so I would always give it to, to one of them uh, for acting. Uh, but I guess this was the year of The Crown as far as the Golden Globes go. So motion picture foreign language, Minari one. This was the controversial one because Minari was an American production. It's not entirely in a foreign language from what I understand. I'm actually going to try and watch it 
this weekend. So I'll have more to say about it soon. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm guessing that for the Oscars, we'll see Minari nominated for a lot more categories. Um, and, and could, you know, possibly be a best picture nominee as well. Uh, I will say, I'm also very curious to watch, uh, La Llorona, uh, which is the horror movie from Shudder, which was nominated. Uh, I think it's going to become more widely available soon. So, um, I'm curious about that. Best TV drama, The Crown, no surprise. Again, I didn't really have much uh, skin in this game. Uh, I liked Lovecraft Country a lot. Obviously, was a big fan of The Mandalorian, but none of these were like. I mean, where is Better Call Saul? That's t- that to me is is the crazy thing about about this. Uh, how do you not have Better Call Saul on that list? Uh, performance by an actress in a supporting role in a movie. So. Here's another one, uh, Jodie Foster and the Mauritanian, that uh, it just came out this week, so you can now watch the movie. I just watched it. I thought it was really, really well done. Jodie Foster was great. Um, So, you know, can't fault her for that win. Um, I thought she was really fantastic in that movie. And obviously, she had sort of the reaction of the night to winning, and you couldn't help but feel happy for her uh, when she won. So, so that was a cool moment on the show. Um, and then best performance by an actress in a supporting role in a series. So my one of my favorite actresses, Gillian uh, Anderson, won for The Crown. I've not seen The Crown, but I am a huge X-Files nerd, so I cannot be upset if Gillian Anderson wins anything. Um, so I am happy for her on this one. Although it does make me feel old to think of her playing Margaret Thatcher. To me, she will always be Agent Scully. Best performance by an actress in a limited series made for TV. So Anya Taylor-Joy won for The Queen's Gambit. I think that was probably uh, an easy win. People love that show. Tons of people watched it on Netflix. It was a phenomenon. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy was great in it, so happy for her. I did really also like Daisy Edgar-Jones in Normal People, who was nominated. So uh, I would have been excited for that, too. Best TV limited series or motion picture made for TV, Queen's Gambit won. Again, no surprise there. I did like Normal People a lot, so uh, that would have been cool. And Small Acts, I mean... Small Acts, to me, it was really movies. Um, it was a series of interrelated movies. It's hard to really call it a TV show, in my opinion. So it's a bit of a weird one in that category. But it was great, so everyone should watch it. So some of the big categories now. Best performance by an actor in a motion picture drama. Chadwick Boseman won for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um he was was great in it um well deserved obviously very sad given the circumstances of his passing in 2020 um there was this was a very loaded category i mean the only movie i haven't seen yet in this category is the father um where supposedly anthony hopkins is great um but then you've also got riz ahmed that was an incredible incredible performance in sound of metal uh, Tahar Rahim in the Mauritanian is incredible in that movie. Gary Oldman is great in Mank. So very that might be the most loaded category of the night. But again, Chadwick Boseman killed it in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. He was fantastic. Well-deserved. And, and I mean, you know, it's a nice tribute to sort of his legacy that he won that award. Um. So best director in a motion picture. This is the one where I was probably the most excited for any win of the night because I'll talk more about Nomadland, but I just watched it the night early, the night before on Saturday. Absolutely loved it. One of my favorite movies I've seen of the last 12 months, um, if not my favorite. And Chloe Zhao just knocked it out of the park with her directing. Uh, it was an incredibly directed film. And, you know, every year there's talk about, you know, female directors need to be nominated. When will a female director win some of these awards? And 
you know, it's always a conversation about, well, did a female, was there a female director that truly was the best director that year? Um, and this year, the answer is yes, no question. Chloe Zhao was the, this was the best directed movie, Nomadland of the year. So well-deserved win there. I was very happy for her. She seems like an amazing uh, just person and, you know, creative inspiration. So uh, really happy for that one. Best motion picture, musical or comedy, Borat won. I was happy. I mean, Palm Springs, I know a lot of people wanted that. I love that movie. Um, but I also love Borat. Uh, it was absolutely hilarious. It was a just devastatingly biting comedy and satire. I think Sasha Baron Cohen is a genius when it comes to making these kinds of movies and doing these characters. So I cannot fault Borat for winning. I think it was a, a great movie and it's cool to see it recognized uh, as it was. And then also Sasha Baron Cohen won for best actor in a musical or comedy. Uh, and again, he beat out some favorites like Andy Samberg for Palm Springs and Dev Patel in the personal history of David Copperfield and Lin-Manuel Miranda for Hamilton. Although I think that's a tough one. It really was just a filmed version of the, of the musical. So I don't know. It's hard to say it was the best movie performance, but you know, I'm happy Sasha Baron Cohen won. Best performance by um, an actress in a motion picture drama. So here was one that was a bit of a surprise. Andra Day uh, won for the United States versus Billie Holiday, which just recently came out on Hulu. Uh, I don't know if a ton of people have seen it yet. I'm, I'm still uh, needing to see it. Uh, I've heard good things about her performance. I mean... This one is another pretty loaded category. Uh, Carrie Mulligan is great and Promising Young Woman. Viola Davis is just spectacular in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. My pick from what I've seen would probably be Frances McDormand. Just an uh, all-timer performance in Nomadland. And then I've heard really good things about Vanessa Kirby and Pieces of a Woman. I've not yet seen that. But yeah, I think a lot of people are going to now check out um, Billie Holiday. So good promotion for that movie and then lastly best motion picture drama this one again i was very happy nomadland won um well deserved of the picks i mean I, I i you know the one movie i'll just mention i mentioned this before but to me it was very odd that the five bloods was not nominated for anything I would have put it in Best Picture. I would have had Delroy Lindo in there for acting. I would have had Spike Lee for directing. Uh, I would have had it in the screenplay category. Very strange omission there. And again, it sort of speaks to some of the issues that people have cited with uh, a lack of representation on the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Um, you know, who knows why wasn't it nominated? But that being said, Nomadland was fantastic. Uh, of the nominees, it was my pick for best movie. It, you know, in retrospect, if I were to lump it in with my 2020 movies of the year, it would be maybe in the number one or number two slot. But uh, it, it's uh, it's definitely up there. Fantastic movie, well deserved, and I think now. It's clearly the front runner for the Oscars. Um, so we'll see what happens, but big win there for Nomadland. So that's my recap uh, of the Golden Globes. I'm going to come back and talk about Nomadland some more. I'm going to talk about I Care a Lot. Uh, and I'm going to talk about one other movie that I mentioned, which is Barb and Star Go to Vista del Mar. Uh, which is absolutely hilarious, and I will talk about it right after. And we're back, and uh, yeah, I just talked about how Nomadland won uh, Best Picture uh, for Drama at the Golden Globes, so let me just see right from that 
uh, into talking about Nomadland, which I watched uh, this past weekend. It's on Hulu, so you have no excuse uh, not to watch it if you have Hulu. Um, and man, this movie, you know, I think I was very hyped for it going in. This is the movie that I feel like for several months now I've heard about as like, this is going to be the best picture favorite. Uh, you know, this is the movie to watch and I've been waiting for it. I've been waiting for it. And it was frustrating that it wasn't out last year so that, you know, the, the OCD person and uh, movie fan in me couldn't see it and sort of judge whether it was to be on my best of the year list or not. Um, so that was frustrating knowing that it was probably going to be really good and yet not having it be a actual 2020 release. Um, but I think, well, I guess I have to think about the best of the year list different for this year, because I think we've already got, if you, if you think of Nomadland as a 2021 movie, then I think we've already got a favorite for the best movie of 2021 which is Nomadland. It's just an incredible film. Um, Chloe Zhao uh, directs it amazingly, um, and Frances McDormand delivers just an all-timer performance, like I said, in the lead role of this movie. And it's just very profound. It's very uh, funny at times, uh, and it just feels so um, poetically and artfully crafted and there's so much resonance to it um you know basically it sort of is about this woman played by Frances McDormand who is part of this kind of you know it's like a real thing of people who kind of live out of their their vans and they drive around and they you know work for a few months at Amazon or they work for a few months at a restaurant and they sort of take these gigs and they they don't have permanent homes. They find these sort of um, essentially like a version of a trailer park where they can park their van and sort of form these communities with other people who are like-minded and who do the same. And they're nomads. And it's a whole um, movement in America. Although, um, I don't know, it's kind of this fine line. And I think what's so interesting about the movie is that it really explores and examines this fine line where on one hand the people who embrace this lifestyle they do embrace it and they wouldn't necessarily want to live differently in some cases um they like not being tied down they like uh having the the flexibility to live how they want on the other hand that's sort of, you could argue that's sort of what they convince themselves or have to convince themselves of because they're in a very tough position. A lot of these people, um, they have very little money. They, they can't afford a place to live other than living in their van. Um, the jobs that they're getting are paying them, you know, less than minimum wage uh, and, and not certainly not a living wage. And you know, they're, they're sort of, in some cases, forced into this lifestyle. And it's not really a great way to live. And, you know, if, if someone goes without getting a gig, it could be extremely dangerous and extremely not good. And also, the movie shows how, you know, a lot of the characters that are portrayed are older. And you know, a lot of these people are, are reaching an age where they're maybe in their 70s, maybe even in their 80s, and the they can't do this lifestyle for much longer. You know, when you get to that age, you need people to help you, and you need a support system, and it's hard to live in this way out of a van uh, gig to gig, and a lot of these gigs are involve, you know, manual labor or walking around a lot or other conditions that are not really conducive to, to much older people. But that's sort of the lifestyle that they're stuck in. And, 
you know, it's just very, it can be a very sad film to see these real life people sort of go through these, these issues. And what Chloe Zhao does so brilliantly is she actually casts the movie other than some of the main characters. Uh, you have Francis, Francis McDormand, you have David Strathairn, but then a lot of the other supporting cast members are actual sort of nomads who live this lifestyle in real life and are essentially just playing themselves. And it leads to some very raw, very uh, real feeling moments of authenticity in the movie. And again, I think that's what makes it so profound is that it just feels like a very lived in, very authentic film, you know, and it has everything. It's, it's not trying to be, uh, it's not looking at this lifestyle with just one lens. It's showing you the beauty of it. It's showing you the sadness of it. It's showing you the loneliness of it. It's showing you the camaraderie of it. Um, and so it really gives you the full experience of of the, this nomadic lifestyle. But it also um, does sort of beneath the, the surface and sometimes on the surface, it gives a very... Uh, sharp critique of the conditions that lead to this lifestyle. And I mean, even for example, the way that Amazon features into the movie where Francis McDormand, um, you know, works at Amazon and, um, you know, sort of gets the benefits of working at Amazon, but also the negatives of working at Amazon. And a lot of other movies wouldn't, use Amazon in that way. They would change the name of the company. They would give you a fictional depiction of it. But this, you know, it straight up uses Amazon and you see a literal Amazon factory and you see that, you know, it's a pretty nice factory. Like everyone is sitting around eating lunch and there's some camaraderie and people know each other and on one hand, you're like, you know what? It's not the worst. On the other hand, you see how hard it is to maintain a long-term gig. You see the low amount of pay. Uh, and you see a lot of the other uh, really negative things about working in a company like that that doesn't always treat its workers in a way that they should. And while there might be some nice, perks to working there um those don't necessarily make up for how you know uh how tough it can be to work there from a, a salary standpoint and from a you know just a lifestyle standpoint and it shows in america the movie shows in america where so many people are struggling and just can't afford a home can't afford an apartment um, and there's a loss of family and there's a loss of, um, community and like even the backstory of Frances McDormand's character, where she's from this sort of, you know, factory town that has essentially closed up and it's based on a real life town, uh, where this occurred, where it literally became a ghost town and, I mean, that's sort of the American story in a lot of ways where, you know, these towns have just closed up um, and nothing's replaced the industries that were there. Um, and there's all these sort of new gig uh, jobs and there's a new gig economy that sprung up to replace what was in some ways, but it's not an economy that gives you a living wage. And it's an economy where CEOs and executives at companies like Amazon, uh, you know, become billionaires, but the people that work for them can't afford a home. And I just, to me, this is sort of like the issue, the macro issue of our society right now in many ways. Um, and I know so many people aren't struggling in the same way Francis McDormand struggles in this movie, but are struggling to pay their rent. 
or you know can't afford to buy a home or aren't starting a family because they're afraid that they can barely support themselves let alone a child and so i think there's a real profound nature to this film um that i think will stick with me for a long time and it's so timely and so uh such an important movie but it's also just a real movie it's at the end of the day it's about this character this incredible character that francis mcdormand brings to life um and i to me i i give her all the awards if it were up to me because this is a character that will stick with me i think forever um and it's it's just uh, remarkable what she does in this movie and how real she feels. And especially knowing that she's interacting with so many actual people who are non-actors, the fact that she also feels just as real and just as, as authentic in this role is, again, just remarkable. Um, so uh, I won't say too much more about the movie other than just, again, Chloe Zhao does an incredible job directing it. There's some amazingly gorgeous scenes of sort of the American West and, uh, or I, I should say the Northwest where this takes place um, and some scenes of nature and things like that. But then there's also the way the camera follows Frances McDormand and the way it emphasizes her walking everywhere and her trudging through uh, her life, essentially, with just dogged determination. It's like the camera is almost a character in this movie, and it's so amazing what what uh, is done directorial-wise in this movie. So I can't recommend it enough. I really think it's an instant classic, and it's one of the best movies of the last you know, decade really. So, uh, really, really endorse it. Um, I hope everyone goes and watches it. I think, uh, there's a lot to be gained from, from watching this movie. So this is just a great piece of cinema. Uh, and it's my favorite, I think, to win best picture at the Oscars because it really is just a remarkable work. So check out Nomadland. It's on Hulu and I'll be right back. All right, so my second pick of the week is another movie that um, I really liked, and this one is on Netflix, and it just premiered this past weekend, and I think it, uh, you know, it it just blew up on Netflix because everyone was talking about it, and combine that with the fact that uh, Rosamund Pike won a Golden Globe uh, for Best Actress for this movie, kind of a surprise. Now I think it's blowing up even more. Um, and, uh, man, this was quite a film. I really didn't know exactly what to expect going in. I had heard some good things. I heard it was dark and man, it is a dark movie. And it's one of those movies that, you know, some movies you're watching and within a few minutes you're like, man, this is great. I love this. This is one of those movies that for me, I honestly wasn't sure what I thought of it until it was over because a lot for me was going to depend on ultimately how the movie ended and what it had to say at the end of the day. And it wasn't clear to me uh, for some of the movie what that would be and exactly what this movie was exactly. Um, So... What I will say, again, I don't want to spoil too much about this movie. I think it's a movie to uh, not not know too much about going in. But it's a very dark satire. I would compare it in some ways to things like uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, You know, some of the movies that uh, Adam McKay has made um, that are these very sort of dark satires of uh, kind of bad people doing bad things. Uh, but, you know, I think what, what part of the issue for me was that if this end had ended up being a movie that 
actively sort of glamorized its main character and made you, you know, wanted you solely to root for them, then I don't think I would have liked it as much. But I think as more layers of the onion are peeled away as you watch this movie, and by the time you get to the end of the movie, I think it's clear that what you're watching is a satire that is not hoisting up these characters on a pedestal at all. Instead, it's sort of um, skewing them, skewering them, I should say, um, and sort of showing you how they represent the, the real dark side of the American dream. And so when I realized that, and uh, it's not to say that there isn't satire throughout the whole movie. I just think it's unclear. I think you have to get to that exclamation point at the end before you can finally say like, aha, the light bulb has gone off. Now I see what this movie is exactly. Um, so you have to stick with it. If you just watch five minutes or 10 minutes, I could see how people might be turned off. And to be honest, I think there was a period when the movie was first starting where I was watching it, where I was like, I don't know, this seems like it might be really questionable, but I think you've got to stick with it um, because it does pay off and it does get to a place that's really, uh, it really has a lot to, to think about and it gives you a lot to think about, I should say. And it really does deliver that sort of exclamation point at the end where like, I see what this movie did there and it really, at the end of the day was a pretty scathing, uh, but well done kind of skewering of everything that's wrong about, you know, capitalism unchecked and greed and uh, just the sort of kill or be killed every man for himself attitude that sometimes represents, you know, the worst of modern America. So with that said, just to give you a basic uh, premise for the movie, basically Rosamund Pike plays uh, this woman who's sort of in a relationship with another woman played by uh, uh, Elsa Gonzalez from Baby Driver. And the two of them are, are, you know, kind of romantically linked, but also in this sort of business arrangement where they have a scam, which is that they find uh, elderly people and they sort of make the case that these people are incapable of taking care of themselves and need to be put in the custody of the state um, or in the custody of a ward. Um, who in this case would be Rosamund Pike's character, who can then like commit them to a nursing home and seize control of their assets and basically have like a conservators a conservativeship uh, over all all the money and assets of this person. And so uh, that then essentially enables Rosamund Pike to take advantage of these people to sort of pocket a lot of their money off the books and to essentially make herself very wealthy and successful by taking advantage of elderly people uh, in a way that's extremely exploitative and unethical. Uh, but she's able to get away with it for a number of reasons. You know, she has certain accomplices, including certain doctors and medical people. Um, she's able to sort of lie and BS her way through a lot of situations. And she is just ruthless. She's a ruthless character who's just hell bent on her own personal success at any cost. Now, what happens without spoiling anything is that uh, this elderly woman played by the great Diane Weist, who was just really great in uh, let them all talk uh, a few months ago. But Diane Weist, uh, her character becomes sort of the latest target of Rosamund Pike. And, uh, but, you know, she seems on the surface like just sort of this, you know, ignorant little old lady who um, isn't going to put up much of a fight. But 
there turns out to be a lot more to her than meets the eye. And suddenly, Rosamund Pike, who rarely ever is challenged or meets her match, all of a sudden, she's actually kind of, the tables are turned on her a little bit. And, yeah, I won't say too much more about the story because there's a lot of fun twists. And the movie just goes to some really crazy places. Again, it has like a very wickedly dark sense of humor. And the cast is great. Rosamund Pike, excellent in this movie. She just has this way of doing... um, She is so good at these kinds of roles uh, where she has to play just very... A very over-the-top character, but just play it straight. And she does that so well. And uh, she's really excellent in this movie. It's a very, like, in its own way, it's very over-the-top. But, um, again, she just knows how to play it where uh, she's not winking at the audience. And it's that certain combination that I think is very, very effective. And then uh, Diane Weiss is great. Like I said, Peter Dinklage is in this movie and he's great. He is playing a role that's like just absolutely perfect for him and he nails it. Um, And Elsa Gonzalez is really good. There's several other really good turns in the movie. I'm just looking at the IMDb here, but uh, Chris Messina has a really good role in this movie. Macon Blair, who I'm a big fan of for movies like uh, uh, Green Room. He's got a small but very memorable part in the movie. Um, so the list goes on, goes on and on. But uh, yeah, it's directed and written by a guy named Jay Blakeson, who I was not familiar with. Looking at his IMDb, it's interesting. There's not a lot there that would lead you to believe he has a movie like this in him. Um, but man, he really, um, he really does a great job with this. I mean, it's very stylishly directed. It's just an absolutely cutting script, um, that again, it's just really just right on that line where it could sort of go down a path of being, uh, you know, more like problematic, more sort of, uh, putting character, bad characters on a pedestal. Um, versus on the other side of the line is sort of using these characters to say something about the state of America. And he really pulls it off. He, he walks that tightrope really, really well. And so again, like by the end of the movie, I was just like, wow, that really hit it out of the park in a lot of ways. Um, it ends very well. It's got a hell of an ending. Uh, and yeah, I, this is, this is one of the better, I mean, kind of out of nowhere, I would say this is one of the better movies that Netflix has ever done as an original movie. Um, so definitely watch it. Um, you know, it's, it's right there on Netflix and it'll be interesting. Um, especially with this golden globe, when you've got to figure that it's now sort of in the Oscar race, Versus, I feel like, man, three months ago, I don't think this movie was on almost anybody's radar in terms of award season. Um, So we'll see. I think this one could be a bit of a spoiler. And certainly Rosamund Pike, uh, you know, is going to be in the awards, in in awards contention, I think, for the Oscars. So we'll see. I mean... As I've heard others say, it is like a very dark film. It's a it's a genre film, um, but it's super well done. So I think it deserves to be in that Oscar shortlist. So yeah, I care a lot. Check it out on Netflix, and I'll be right back with my third pick of the. All right, so my third and final pick of the week uh, is a movie that, again, this is one of those weird ones that I had not heard of it at all. I had not seen a trailer, and then all of a sudden I saw it kind of appear on, you know, Apple and Amazon 
and I saw people tweeting about it. And based on the tweets alone, I was like, oh man, I've got to watch this because I love a good absurdist comedy. Um, you know, I grew up with, of course, you know, movies like Ace Ventura and Wayne's World and Dumb and Dumber. And uh, I was obsessed with uh, the state comedy troupe. And when, you know, obviously the movies that they went on to do, like Wet Hot American Summer. Um, and I love this kind of stuff. And I feel like uh, over the last several years, there's definitely been uh, not that many more absurdist comedies out there. Um, you know, we've seen here and there some good ones, but certainly not a lot of the just wacky, crazy, colorful comedies that I grew up with. Um, they certainly, I think, sort of went out of style for a while. Um, and, you know, by the way, on a tangent a little bit, but part of the thing is it's like, you know, you have these comedy categories in the Golden Globes. And this year you did see Borat win, which was, was a hilarious comedy. But so many times I feel like people don't praise comedies just because they're funny uh, and have good joke writing and good characters. It's like comedies often just only get any sort of critical acclaim if they're more dramedies and if they have more traditionally sort of praiseworthy aspects to them. Uh, but I think it's really time that we acknowledge just comedies that are silly and wacky and ridiculous can be great movies and it's because they're funny and it's because there's great jokes and well-crafted jokes. And I know I've probably given this rant before. Uh, if you're, if you know me in real life, uh, you, I'm sure you've heard me say it. But you watch something like Barb and Star and you're like, I mean, this is going to end up being one of the best movies of 2021 uh, because it's so enjoyable and people are going to watch it and rewatch it and quote it for years to come because it's just so well done. Um, so that being said, I mean, look, I, I saw the tweets, just the key art. Uh, seeing it on Apple and whatnot was, was you know, I, I couldn't wait to see it. And the name alone as well, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. What a title for a movie. I wish I had thought of it. Um, and, and now, of course, I just want to see like endless sequels that are variations on that name. So we'll see what happens. Uh, so that's why everyone must watch this movie because we need at least one sequel to this movie. Um, so Barb and Star, this is a movie, first of all, I will say, do not read much about it before you watch it. Um, in a certain way, I'm actually really happy that I had not seen any trailers, knew almost nothing about the movie, because I really didn't know what to expect. And the movie just starts out with some of the craziest stuff where I was just laughing out loud just from the like react, you know, just having the reaction of, Oh, I, I cannot believe that this is what this movie is. Uh, and it was just, I can't remember the last time I started a movie and I was just smiling because I couldn't believe that this was the movie that I was watching. Um, not in a bad way, in a good way. Um, this movie is crazy and it's such great character work. I mean, again, I would compare it almost to like Wayne's world or something like that, where these characters that were, were created by Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo, um, have so many aspects to them and it all sort of just brilliantly meshes together, uh, to create these just fully formed comedic characters that have so many little quirks and ticks and uh, sort of bits that they do that it's just a joy to watch them interact. I mean, you could just watch them. Like, you know, there's a scene that I think everyone has already become iconic of them talking about Trish. Uh, there's sort of this sort of like imagined character that they both 
make up a story about. And you could just watch them have this back and forth about this imaginary character, Trish, for an hour, and it would not get old because they're so freaking funny doing this little bit within the movie. Uh, and so, yeah, Kristen Wiig, Annie Mumolo, they're Barb and Star. Um, I should say Annie Mumolo is, is Barb, Kristen Wiig is Star. And uh, they're so good. I mean, obviously, we all know Kristen Wiig from SNL, from Bridesmaids. This is the exact thing that she's absolutely the best at, doing these crazy, absurd characters, I think. I feel like this is her calling in life is to do these kinds of characters. So while I enjoy her being in more serious roles, this is what I want to see her do because she's so good at it. And uh, she just kills it and is so fully in this character that it's just a joy to watch. And then Annie Mumolo, I, you know, I was not really familiar with, um, I think, uh, you know, she may be more known for her behind the scenes comedy work um, because she did, um, she wrote uh, Bridesmaids as an example. Interestingly, she also wrote the movie Megan Levy, which is a much more serious film. So I guess she can really just do it all, but she kills it in this movie. Like, I guess she's just incredibly multi-talented because, holy crap, she completely holds her own with Kristen Wiig um, and is ridiculously funny in this movie. She needs to be in everything now. I mean, it's just crazy how good she is. Um, and, by the way, Kristen Wiig plays not just Star, but also the villain of the movie who I won't say anything about because you have to see this for yourself, but she plays two roles in the movie and is great in both. So I almost don't want to say what this movie is about. I think you should just discover it for yourself. Um, but just the comedy is so good. I mean, no, you know, not every bit works. There's, there's some that fall flat, but I would say, you know, it's always to me about the ratio in these kinds of movies. And the ratio in Barb and Star is fantastic. Uh, I was laughing throughout the film. I was pausing to catch my breath. There were moments that were just instantly quotable, uh, instantly just the kind of thing that, you're, that everyone's going to be talking about once everyone does see this movie. Um. <laughs> And man, I do wish this played in in a theater because um, it it would have been so fun to see it with a big audience. And I am sure that this is going to be shown at screenings forever because now I really want to see this like in a theater with people like dressed as Barb and Star. And by the way, I think it will be a Halloween costume for a long time of people dressing like Barb and Star, just like. They dress like, you know, Wayne and Garth to this day from Wayne's World. Um, but there's so many fun gags in this movie. Uh, Jamie Dornan is in the movie, and he, I mean, look, he's not known for comedy per se, but uh, he's, uh, let's just say he's a very good sport in this movie, and there's a lot of jokes that are sort of on him. Uh so he's a lot of fun in this movie. Um, there's a lot of little like supporting roles that are really good. Like Vanessa Bayer from SNL just has a hilarious character that she plays. Um, Wendy McLendon Covey from uh, the Goldbergs has a really funny little moment in the movie. Um, Phyllis Smith from the office is great and has some great moments. Um, so there's a great supporting cast. Um, and just, I mean, just what a weird, awesomely weird movie, I would say. Um, I want sequels. I want more people to see it. 
And so this movie, if you're not aware, uh, you do have to rent it right now. It is currently at sort of that higher 1999 price point. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that there's a ton of movies that are worth renting for 1999. Obviously, that's everyone's own decision. This is one of those movies. Um, you'll get your, you'll feel like you got your money's worth if you like crazy, absurd comedy. Um, and honestly, like in that 48 hour period that you have to watch it, you may very well end up watching it two or three times. Uh, because it's just that kind of instantly, like, I want to go back and rewatch it type of movie. So can't say enough good things about this one. I think part of the fun was just how much of a pleasant surprise it was. Nobody had this movie on their radar. I don't even know if there were trailers for it, but it kind of just came out of nowhere and it's delightful. It's hilarious. Barb and star go to Vista del Mar one of the real surprises of 2021. And uh, I think this will be a, a dark horse pick on a lot of people's best of the year list for this year, which is so weird. I feel like we're still in 2020 and it's just been one long year, but we're in 2021. We're already getting some really good movies and this is one of them. I say, check it out. And that's my third and final pick of the week. So I'll be back next week. Still got a lot to talk about. And I uh, hope you guys are hanging in there and staying safe, wearing your masks, and uh, more to come next week. Mm-hmm.